If I can get the kids up here before they head. Come on, all the kids, yeah. Asher, you, and come on up. Promise I won't bite. Go ahead, have a seat. Come on up. Come on up. Go ahead, have a seat. Asher, I can see you. Come here, please. All right. All right, so what is this? All right. What do we think of pennies? Are are they important? <laughs> so Jairus is up here saying no because they cost more to make than what they're worth on the market. Yep. So which is true. It does. It costs costs like two to five cents to make a penny, if you didn't know that, for the government. Luckily they have some stain power, so they're reusable a few times. But yeah, so we look at a penny and we don't think much about it. In fact, it's at the point now where you know, people use them and they leave them on the ground because it's not worth even carrying in your pocket. Do you guys pick up pennies? Yep. I hope you do because everything is worth something. So a penny by itself has value, right? One cent. But can it buy a whole lot? N not here. JJ is like, in other countries maybe, yeah, so possibly a penny might be worth more in other countries than it is here. But so if we have a penny, it doesn't seem like a whole lot. But what happens when we start putting a bunch of pennies together? It adds up. And what can we do with it when it adds up? What? We can use it. We can start to spend it. We can start to buy things we might need. Like for a dollar, you can go get a hamburger at McDonald's, right? Not that I'm going to recommend that, but you could go get a hamburger off of a dollar menu. So guess what? A penny is sort of like the church. It has value, just like we as individuals have value. But it becomes more powerful when you start coming together, when we start coming together and we start grouping. And so we have a group of you guys here, right? And today you're going to go out and you're going to collect coins from a, a group of people out here. And what we're going to do is we're going to see a group, collect from a group, and we're going to see how many of these we can put together and see how much we can help missionaries across the United States. And across, well, for this one, it's across the North American continent. And the next one will be internationally. But I want you to think about that. That when we come together, just like a penny, when we start coming together like pennies come together, we become more powerful. We become more able to do what we, can, what we were made to do. Because a penny was made to spend, right? It's the whole purpose of it, is to spend it. Right? And so when we come together and we do what we're purposed, which is to glorify God, we can do it much more powerfully, just like a penny when you bring pennies together. So I want you guys to each take this. And I want you to kind of split up. Take that one. And if I can get a couple of the older kids on that end, and then the little kids can kind of help go with them. Yep, and go with them. And we are going to do this next week also. So if you have a bag of pennies or whatever at home and you forgot because our schedule got messed up. All right, go ahead. 
Nope, that's fine. I get it. <laughs> you got to pass it. <laughs> You're going to preach today? He's going to preach. I asked him if he's going to preach. He walked right up there. So, <laughs> You guys would probably all rather enjoy that more than me anyway. So, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Love you. <laughs> yeah. So I learned last year not to try to hold this when it started getting dumped because it gets pretty heavy pretty quick. So all right, stand up, quit playing with it. All right, we're going to dump that in. That's loud. All right, awesome. We're going to put the cover on it. We can put the bowls right down there for next week. So week one is done. Next week we're going to do the same thing. You guys going to help me out next week too? Yeah. Awesome. Love to hear that. Why don't you guys go sit down. Yes, now, now we can head down to Children's Church. They're all excited now. They can get out of listening to me. All right. This was Lottie Moon. So this is the North American one. So Bob, come on up here for a second. Yes, you. And I think you're the only Bob. You're actually like the only Bob we have in church right now. So, so this is a certificate of baptism from your baptism. All right. Um, obviously, we didn't do it here in front of everybody, um, but if you get a chance, go to our website. Uh, not our website, go to Facebook's website. It's posted there, I believe, and you can see what it is. And if not, I'll make sure it gets posted to the River of Life site because I have it on mine. But Bob was baptized when we were up at man camp. And uh, we like to make a public confession in front of the people who hold each other accountable because this is what it is, this, to come together, to walk beside each other, to carry each other through the difficult times. That's what this is all about. That's why we come together. That's why we have family that we call church. And uh, I just want to take a moment to pray over you, okay? All right, so let's just bow our heads. And uh, dear Father, we, we lift up Bob to you. For in you is rebirth, a becoming new, a shedding of the old, and a journey into the future. And so, Lord, we ask that you give him the strength and the power to do so, to honor and glorify you in his life, to pursue what your will is for him, to understand your purpose in his life. For, Lord, he has confessed his faith in you and his surrendering to you. And so, Lord God, we just stand as a body to say we are here to support you, Bob. That when you run into difficult times, you can call upon your brothers and sisters that you can raise up and overcome them and know that you have strength behind it. For Lord, you are the most powerful and glorious God. And you draw us into you present 
in your love. Lord, we just thank you for Bob and the opportunities that we're going to have to walk with him in these upcoming years. For Lord, you have made him a brother and we are grateful and rejoice in this. Lord, we pray this in your holy name, amen. All right. All right, you want a hug? Okay. <laughs> All right, go have a seat. All right, another thing I want to kind of bring up. Uh, Sarah and Dennis, if I could have you guys come forward, Christopher and Oma, and then uh, Doug and Lois, if you guys could come forward. You can bring the kids with, that's fine. Dennis. So these are certificates of membership. Uh, you guys completed checking the waters in November, and uh, we would have done this a little bit sooner, but we, we were discussing something that was going on internally um, about what it means to be a member of a church, right? And so uh, we're, we're at a point where we feel we can move forward with that concept. And uh, not with you guys, just in general. But I want to honor the fact that you've dedicated yourselves to River of Life. Um, for those of you who are already members, you understand that, yes, it comes with voting privileges and some other things that come with it, but the bigger thing is is that you are joining a body of Christ to do what Christ is calling this body inside Portage to do. And that's a huge commitment because we can't just turn our back on God. We can't just sit there and say, hey, listen, I know what the vision is. Um, I, I wanna have a, a Sunday club that I come to and, and feel good, but that as a church, we are gonna pursue that vision that God has given us. And the fact that you guys have committed to that is huge. Um, and it's a big deal. And so I wanna encourage you to remember that commitment that you make, but also to uh, love that commitment that you made. Um, we're talking about love today in, in service. And uh, the love that we have for Christ is what compels us to do this. And I just wanna say thank you. And so if I could, if the church could just stand up we want to pray over these families as they've come in because the kids are up here because while a mother and father become members because of age limits that we have out there, the whole family becomes part of this church. That's a really important thing. So let's take a moment, let's pray over this moment. Dear Heavenly Father, we give thanks that you have brought these families into our body. It's not even our body, it's yours, Jesus. We're simply your hands, your feet, your heart, your eyes, your ears, your lips. And so Lord God, as we give thanks for these families joining River of Life Church, understanding the mission that you've given us and being willing to back that mission and move forward with it, to come into a place of family and unity in you, Christ, is a glorious and beautiful thing. And so, God, we thank you for this moment, this chance to celebrate new people into our church, into our body who are committed as those who have come before them. Lord God, you are doing great things here in Portage, and you are preparing this body to truly go out and do your ministry as you challenge the first disciples to continue to do the ministry. And they are an integral part because their special gifts that you have given them will broaden us, will make us stronger as a, as a body of Christ. And we give thanks for that, that you are bringing us and completing us through each and every one of these families you bring into our membership. And God, we just thank you for that opportunity. Lord, we pray this in your holy name. We rejoice 
in heart and mind and soul for the work that you're doing here in Portage. Lord, hear our prayers. Amen. All right, thank you very much. All right, so we'll be in John chapter 13, starting in verse 31 um, through 36. We don't have, or up to 36, up through 35. We don't have a whole lot of scripture to cover today, but there's so much packed into it. Now, Friday was a big day for the United States, right? Valentine's Day. It's one of the biggest uh, chocolate and flower days in the, in the year. But does anyone know the true story behind Valentine's Day, how it got started? Anyone? No? One person? Walmart started it? <laughs> Hallmark started it, yeah. Not really. So St. Valentine was, a, was considered a saint later on once the Catholic Church started naming saints, but he was a holy man in the Roman Empire during the time when the Roman emperor had decided that you had to worship 12 gods. And if you did not, in fact, you couldn't even associate with Christianity at the time. Christianity was a young religion at the time. It was kind of a, a young faith-based and they didn't really understand a lot about it. And so instead of trying to understand it, they became fearful and they started executing the people who were followers. And so Valentini is a holy man who refuses to bow before the 12 gods, adheres to Christ, will only follow Christ. And so what does he do? He sits there and he makes his points known and he gets arrested and eventually he'll be executed. But while he is arrested, he is sitting inside a prison. And one of the guards sees he's a very educated man, the, the jailer, the one who runs the jail, sees he's an educated man and the story goes, it's, there's a few stories out there, but this one seems to be one of the more uh, validatable ones, is that he brings his daughter to Valentine because he knows he's an educated man and his daughter is blind. And so a lot of people won't even give her the time of day, but she's a very sharp woman. She's very intelligent and she's quick-witted. And so they bring her, her into him and he starts teaching her. And this goes on for a few months while he's waiting his execution. And in the process, she becomes a believer in God through the wisdom that she sees in the heart and the, and the love and the compassion, but also his steadfastness. The fact that he's looking at death, he knows what's coming, but he refuses to denounce this Jesus. And so she becomes a believer. And shortly before he is executed, there's a, there's a little bit of a story there. Supposedly what happens is she comes in and says, you know, why, why, does God hear our prayers? And, and Valentini says, yes, most definitely. He hears every one of them. And, uh, and she says, well, I've been blind. I've been praying for healing and he won't heal me. And, you know, the answer is, is well, in God's time and he does what's best for us even though we may not know and, and the typical things we hear in that. But she confesses and inside the cell, supposedly there's such a radiant light that generates and suddenly she sits there and says, I can see. This is the day before he's executed. He's executed on February 14th. That's why we celebrate Valentine's Day on the 14th. But see, today we're going to hear even a greater Valentine. The love of Christ on the cross for us and what it has done for us. That there's no greater love than that of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful concept to understand that we have a God who loves us and will heal us, but it's even a greater concept to understand that we have a God 
who while he may take away our blindness, will take away our death. Will take away everything that separates us from the love of God in a simple moment from the cross. And this becomes the greatest Valentine any believer could ever have because it's an everlasting Valentine. And while I love each and every Valentine I get from my wife and I keep them in a box, and I, I've got 21 plus years worth of them up inside a, a box up in my closet, they'll eventually fail. They'll eventually deteriorate or you know, be found by the next person to not be worthy and thrown away. And while they may mean everything to me, they're not eternal. But God's love for us is eternal. And the beauty is, is it can never be thrown away because we become eternal through his love. And so if you could, please stand with me as we read from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. When he had left, meaning Judas, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Now, children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. And I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we come into your presence today to hear your word, to have it impact our hearts, to truly understand this love that you've given us and that you call us to love each other with. For God, when we understand the immense love that you have for us, then we can start to understand exactly how important we are to you. And in that, we inherit our very identity as a child of God. So Lord, help us understand the valentine you've given us. Help us understand the love that you have for us, that we may rejoice and revel inside of it. Lord, we pray this in your holy name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So the opening section here in verse 31 and 32 is a little confusing. I don't disagree if you have that thought going on. And so what we have is, is Judas has just been given his second chance. We talked about that last week. Judas was given the opportunity either to forget the worldly thing that he was pursuing, i.e. money for turning in Jesus and, and betraying him and being in the presence of God or to pursue the money that was being offered up and, and to betray God. And we know the answer. He picks up and he walks out in front of Jesus and, and pursues the worldly things that lead to the betrayal of Jesus Christ. And so after Jesus or after Judas leaves, Jesus says, hey, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. So in other words, what he's saying here is the acts that will glorify God are now set into motion. There's nothing that can be changed to shift this action happening. The players in the drama have moved on to the next act, to think of it in that way. And so what he's saying is, is now we know God will be glorified in all of this moment. But what's he talking about? What's he seeing? 
they wouldn't have known. We have the hindsight of 2020 where we have the cross. We know that that's what he's walking towards. We know that that's the great glorification of God's love is the cross. But so he's giving them the highlight of what is about to happen. And when it happens, this will glorify God whether you understand it or not. Continues on, and God is glorified in him, meaning Jesus. And if God is glorified in Jesus, then God will also glorify Jesus in Jesus. So the actions of what Christ is going to do. And will glorify him at once. And so in other words, this will happen in a moment. And it will be understandable and, and huge. You won't be able to misinterpret what is about to happen. And so what we see here is that God is being glorified that what Christ is walking towards is glorifying God, but what is driving Christ to the glorification of the Father is his love and obedience. See, Christ willfully walks to the cross. We've talked about that in the past, but let's take a moment. He, do, he has the angel armies that he can command. He can remove himself from any situation because he's fully divine and fully human. But in obedience, he knows what the Father has cast as a will and refuses to go against the will of God. And so that becomes one of the great things that glorifies him is his obedience to follow the will of God. But he doesn't do it out of a, a, a need to be obedient, he does it out of a love for the Father. See, the love between the Father and the Son is so intense that it, it, it spawns or it creates, I don't wanna say it creates because that's probably the, bad, the wrong word, but it brings about the concept of the Holy Spirit that we're blessed with the Holy Spirit, the love of God that they share so intensely comes upon us and it manifests itself in that moment. And so what we see here is sort of like this idea that we have in Ephesians 5, the, the great area about marriage, is, is we have a system that has been there. The Father is loved by the Son and so the Son is obedient to the Father. Just as the church is loved by Christ, so the church is obedient to Christ. Just as the husband loves the wife, the wife is respectful and subordinate to the husband. These are all things that point to the relationship of Christ and the church and the love that is shared between God and his creation. And so we find ourselves understanding that this is meant to glorify God when we walk in these ways. When we follow the structure that's put out there, it glorifies God. And so here we see that in Christ's obedience to follow God's will, he's showing them the greatest love that anybody can show. Because I want you to think about that. How do you show someone that you truly love them? It's not chocolates and flowers. No, it's a year-round love for them that shows respect and cherishing of that person. That is what teaches a person that you love them. And so here Christ is walking towards a place of eternal love to show creation the eternal love of God. And so this is what glorifies God the greatest is this love that Jesus shows for him by walking willfully into the cross. And he moves on, he says, hey, children, I am with you for a little while longer. So now we hear that there's a transition that while they've been in presence of Jesus for now about three years, give or take a couple months, he's no longer gonna be in their presence. 
I want you to think about that for a second. If you truly love someone and you find out that they're going to be gone, does your heart not ache? Even if it's only for a week, even if you know that it's only going to be a short period of time, do you not feel that angst in your heart when you love someone? And now the disciples have declared their love for Christ. And I, I would believe that love that they have for him. But now they're hearing that he's not going to be there anymore. Can you imagine how we might feel in that situation where we might feel an angst inside our heart? What does it mean you're not going to be with us anymore? We'd follow you as we're going to see Peter after next week making a confession that he would go anywhere. But what Jesus is talking about is I'm going someplace you can't go. And here's why. We sit there and think, well, he's dying and they're not going to die. But we all die, so we're all going to go to death eventually in the flesh. But see, they believed in Jesus Christ. They confessed Christ, and so there was no eternal death for them anymore. They'd already accepted the covenant that was coming. And so when he says, listen, where I'm going, you can't go because I'm descending to hell. He knows where he's headed. He, he's got the foresight because of his divine nature. He knows he's going to hell. He tells them, listen, you're not going there. He didn't tell the Jews that. If you're back in chapter 7 and 8, he says, you can't follow me to the Jewish People who come and question him. In fact, he says, you will die to your sin. But here he doesn't tell them that. And so while there's a, a separation that's coming, there's hope in the backside of it. He doesn't cast them off into a, an unworthy place for them because of their confession of who he is already. Their dedication to him. The love that they've shown him up to this point. And so where he says, where I am going, you cannot come, he's talking about hell because they've already entered into a covenant with him. They've already entered into that concept of trusting in Jesus Christ, having faith in Christ. They've already dedicated their lives to Christ. And so there isn't going to be a hell for them. They've entered into an eternal relationship with God. But he gives them the new law of the covenant. He says, I, I give you a new command in verse 34. Love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. See, that's the secret to the new law. It wasn't about living the right life. It was about sharing the love that God was about to share on the cross. That that would make the new covenant steadfast inside. See, we talk about the cross being, uh, or the blood of, of Christ on the cross becoming the, the sign of the new covenant. That's the whole Lord's Supper concept that we walk into is the body and the bread, or the body and the bread, the wine and the, the blood is the symbol of the new covenant. But what he's setting right now is what does it look like to live in that new covenant? So what we see is Christ giving them the new commandment. But it's not a new commandment, is it? Because this is the same commandment that was given in Deuteronomy and in Numbers. This is an Old Testament concept to love one another, to love thy neighbor as thyself, right? Even Jesus at a certain point in Mark 12 gives that command, right? To love thy father, or to love God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. So this isn't a new concept, but what he's setting is inside the new covenant, this is what matters the most. It's no longer the law in essence of checking off the box and making sure you're living a right life. It's how you're going to share the love that God has given you from the cross with everyone else around you. And so we have the action that Christ is walking to on the cross for the glory of God. 
now becoming based on the love that God has for his creation. And so now we look at the cross in a whole different light. It's no longer a thing that has to happen, but it's the love that God is sharing with the world. See, if we take the love out of it, it becomes a dangerous thing because now we can sit there and say, well, Christ had to go to the cross because God was guilty of the sin in the world because he allows for it. See, if we don't have that filter of love in there that God loves us so much, we can now turn it around where now God's the reason that the cross had to happen instead of us being the reason that the cross had to happen. And that makes us feel a lot better, right? That we're not responsible for Jesus' death. But that's not the way it works. See, God is fully righteous. He doesn't need us. He loves us and cares for us and wants us to the point where he's willing to go to the cross out of love for us. But if we lose that love and we lose the fact that love is what drives Christ to the cross, we lose the power of the cross and then we lose the salvation that comes with it because now it's no longer correct. Our priorities have been messed up. And so he sits there and he gives, you know, this new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And so what does that mean? If he's talking about how I love you is going to the cross, being sacrificial, being willing to put my life on the end for each other, what does that mean for us? Well, if we're to love as Christ did, that means we need to love sacrificially. Not a one-for-one exchange. Not a a win-win situation. No, it means that we love others even if it means that we have to sacrifice ourselves a bit. See, that's the whole base of Christianity is that we have a love that is so strong that it drives us to be sacrificial for other people. And that's what made a disciple noticeable of Christ. That's what he says, right? He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, i.e. my students, the followers of, of Christ, only if you love one another in this way that you have been commanded to love. See, church, every day we have that choice to love another sacrificially or to withhold back and, and not give of our fullness. But if Christ would have done that for us, would we have salvation? No, if it would have been a one-for-one exchange, there's nothing we could ever do to receive that full love and repay that full love in a way to receive the gift of eternal life. And so it has to be sacrificial. But he doesn't give this as a, just a command. He gives it so that we can continue on. I want you to think that as a disciple, you're just finding out that Jesus is leaving you and that you can't follow him and they don't understand this. They, they can't process this yet and then they won't for, you know, we could argue for millennia after. We're still trying to figure out the wholeness of, of what it means that Christ goes to the cross for us. But the simplistic answer is that he gives us so that we can continue on knowing that we have this relationship with him. That we're in a place that we sit with him. And so, while we have the action of the cross for God's glory, now we move into the understanding that's based on love so that we can continue without him in our presence. So that we can have the strength of knowing that we were loved enough that he died on the cross for us, that that's an extending eternal salvation that comes with that. 
So why that we can bear witness to the world around us? See, is not loving someone like we're called to love Christ, giving him the utmost respect, being submissive to him? And so his command to go and share with the world the gospel becomes the greatest way that we can show our love for Jesus Christ. To share the gospel with the broken world around us is the greatest way that we can love or show our love for God. Why? Because it does the two things that Christ himself did to show his love for the Father. To love him so much that he obediently walked in the will of God, sacrificially to the cross. See, when we share the gospel, sometimes we have to sacrifice a little bit of ourselves. Right? It may make us uncomfortable. It may make us a little bit outside of our comfort zone or it may make us creeped out a little bit to have to talk about God amongst people, especially in a community or inside a culture that doesn't talk about God very regularly. But part of it is because we've stopped doing it. But if we truly love God, we would talk about him all the time. He'd be the base of every conversation. Why? Because he'd be the base of our life. But we don't like to do that. We like to compartmentalize ourselves. We like to step off and, and step over on the side and, and, and feel comfortable about accepting the fact that, well, we shouldn't talk about him. But the thing is, is if we lose our voice in our communities, if we stop talking about God in our communities, we're not honoring God very much. We're definitely not glorifying him and we're not showing our true love for him. And so if you want to give the best valentine that we've received and you want to return the favor, then glorify God. Walk in a way that shows your love for him truly to be heartfelt and deep inside of you. And share the gospel. Share how God has impacted your life. Let the whole world around you know it. Because that's how we truly love or show our love. See, the new command to love one another was to set a new stage to signify what it meant to be under the new covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ. It was a way for the whole world to see the difference between how a follower of Christ lived their lives and the world chose to live their lives. It was a way to kind of give us a signet of understanding or for people to identify us in that. And so the question that we must ask ourselves is, do we live in that manner? Do we love each other as Christ loved us? Do we carry our lives in a way that shows and respects Christ and the love he's given us by loving those around us the way he loves us? And it's a tall order and it's a difficult thing because it means that we have to sometimes sacrifice our comfort or maybe something that we'd want in a situation. It means that sometimes we're going to get yelled at and sometimes we're going to kind of have a, a disagreement with people. But the facts, of the, or the facts of the story that we see here in these few short, converse, or this, these few short uh, verses of Scripture into this larger conversation of the partying of Jesus Christ and his instruction to his, his disciples begins with this command to love one another. And so we have to find ourselves in a place of submitting to Christ so that we may love as Christ loves. 
to be willing to set those things that keep us apart from other people and apart from loving other people and set those aside and not make them more important than they really are and to pursue that which is most important. To love one another as Christ has loved us. See, church, that's what binds a church together. When we talk about the unity in Christ, it's because of the love he has for us that moves through us and we share with others that binds us together because we start living. We simply start living because now we're living by the will of God and we're glorifying God. So church, I hope you had a great Valentine's Day. And I hope you share the excitement of the Valentine that we receive from the cross, from the love that God has given to us. I hope you understand that the command to go and love one another is not one of harshness upon us, but of one that is bringing of life to each other. For when we love each other, we share and glorify God through following in the acts of Christ in our lives. I encourage you to take this week to think about what it means to love one another as Christ has loved us and how you can pursue that in your life, how you can challenge your heart to open up in a way that Christ opened up his heart to us, in a way that God has grown us through our faith in Jesus Christ. I hope that you can take a moment and understand that this is a lifelong call, not just a one day a year call as Hallmark gives us but to love one another fully and completely, to reach out and share that amongst each other in good times and in bad times. For Christ died on the cross knowing we were all sinners, unworthy of what his act was about to do, but because of love and sacrifice and obedience, we received the greatest gift we could ever receive as a valentine. As a pure and simple sign of his love and dedication through that love. And I encourage you, love one another as Christ has loved you and see how that changes your life. Amen.